everybody. Mike and Andy here, coming at you at the uh, from the World Vox headquarters in Brea, California. We're so grateful to be a part of your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, today, today's a bit interesting. Um, uh, we don't know how this is going to go. We've got uh, Seth Erie, who is uh, home from school today, uh, with a bit of. Um, uh, the double-ended flu, or so, or food. Po- we we think it's food poisoning. Yeah. Um. So he and and our sweet uh, babysitters are upstairs, but you know we'll see how that goes at keeping him quiet. Mm-hmm. Um. And then I I think Andy I had the worst panic attack in the history of my life last night. Yeah. I was. I so if you don't know, and not that you particularly care, but uh, late January. Um, had to go to the hospital, found an irregular heartbeat, was diagnosed with something called atrial fibrillation, which um, my heart goes in and out of regular, irregular beats. And it's not the worst heart problem, but it's, it's certainly something. And, uh, and then about a month after that diagnosis, I was diagnosed with melanoma, which is the most aggressive form of skin cancer. They found a spot in my back and um, ended up having to cut that out. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go into surgery and, and, then, and then they had to check lymph nodes. And, um, and you know, it's just been absolutely crazy. This, this scar where they checked the lymph nodes got infected, so they had to cut it open this week and blah, blah, blah. Now, on top of that, my brother and my mother have had health scares and potential diagnoses and, you know, it's it's, you know, compared to what some people are going through, I mean, this is just small potatoes. But um, in the in the grand scheme of my life, you know, this was certainly one of the more down two and a half month periods. And mm. and my anxiety is not only um, uh, you know something that's part of my personality. I'm a, I'm a dweller and a ruminator, and it, mm. you know that works when it's about the beauty of Jesus, but it does not work well when it's about you know. Oh, there's a one percent chance cancer could have spread. Oh, okay. Then yeah. I better prepare myself for that. Yeah, you know, that spread. And Andy and and some of my other dear friends have been, you know, with us in the in the madness. But last night, for whatever reason, man, I could not. I just hit a breaking point and could not pull it together. Could not get. I could not organize my thoughts. My thoughts were just scattered and. So I was literally, it was about, I don't know, one in the morning, I'm roaming around upstairs, just going, okay, when, at what point do I call 911? And then just have them, you know, tranquilize me or something, you know, I mean, I was just so crazy. So um, this morning, I'm a bit of a mess um, because I'm, I'm groggy. Um, I still just feel weird and sad and whatever else, but... I share that um, my wife, one of the the last things my wife said as she was leaving was literally, why don't you be raw today? So, um, so (laughs) here's... You said I'm not ready for that. Yeah, I know. Well, (laughs) here we are. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I'm not going to, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, except to say that um, we're going to jump into some some stuff I covered um, at an event I did at Vanguard. And um, uh, Vanguard University is a little university in Costa Mesa, California. And, um, and if I'm not as punchy or crazy or, you know, energetic as normal, that's the reason. Um, so uh, uh, the, my buddy, you've, he's been on the podcast before, a guy named John Mark Comer. Mm-hmm. He's a pastor at Bridgetown Real fast. Church before, of Portland. Yeah. I'm gonna interrupt you, but before, before we jump in, we don't, yeah, yeah. you know, we don't usually, we don't usually do this as we have such a, a breadth of audience. But like, I would say, as a friend, 
you know, to you, like we could, we would say we absolutely appreciate if you would be praying for this, you know, <laughs> if you would be, you know, mindful of, of this thing. I mean, it's, it's been a crazy, it's been a crazy year. I mean, like with, uh, starting a church with having these conversations, um, you know, we believe in this thing, you know, that Jesus has done. And mm-hmm. um, that comes with that is, uh, you know, stuff that we call spiritual warfare. And we believe in things that um, that come at war at these things. And, you know, we, we do collectively ask that for you out there. If you pray and if you'd be willing, you know, to be praying over this stuff, we would we would greatly appreciate that. And um, I feel that that's... Um, I think just especially in this season, we would, you know, cover, you know, appreciate you guys, you know, doing that if that's something that you do. Yeah. So I just, no, I don't, good. I don't want to miss the chance to, to say that because that's, um, we're, we're all kind of walking in this reality. And every Tuesday morning we meet and talk about the church and what we want to do. And um, all of us that sit at that table have just been um, so blessed by so many of you that have granted permission for us to keep having this conversation for, for us mm-hmm. to, to start a church that hopes to embody what all of this has become. And it, it really wouldn't be anything without the participation and support of you guys. And that's not just listening every week or supporting on Patreon. It's also that um, some of you who follow Jesus would be praying that, you know, that that things come to reconciliation and that yeah. some of this stuff is relieved. And so, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's, y- yep. yeah. <laughs> and, and yes, I know marijuana helps anxiety. So thank you for <laughs> all the recommendations for all around of that. that. Yeah, seriously. Um, yeah, that's the worst part has just been, it's not only been the, the cancer and the heart stuff, but it's been the anxiety that's just gone. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's been the most miserable thing. Yeah. So we're starting therapy again and, you know, trying new medications and blah, blah, blah. But man, it has been a, it has been a slog. Um, but, but the reason I tell you that is just in case, you know, we're a bit off today or I'm a bit off more than normal. Um, but we still, you know, we still feel so excited about what God's doing. And, and so last Thursday night, I got to share it at, uh, this thing with my, my buddy, John Mark from Portland. And then another friend of mine named Todd Proctor, um, who is in Costa Mesa, uh, they've, they've put something together where um, once a month they are studying the practices of Jesus, not just the teachings of Jesus, but what Jesus did and how Jesus lived and what were the things that nurtured um, Jesus in his spiritual life. And, mm. you know, obviously um, he had a couple of uh, things that we don't have going, but, but uh, on, on the other hand, there's a, there's a, there's a deep sense that Jesus is teaching us what it means to be fully human and what it looks like to be fully human. And so uh, I got to join in that conversation. I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about, wow, I'd love to share some of this with all of you um, as well, just because it's hard, like one hard earned stuff. Like, Mm. like this is um, having done it wrong for lots of years. Um, So the topic, the topic I was talking about was what does it mean to be transformed and renewed by the scriptures? And, And we get so many questions about the Bible we thought, okay, well, this is a very good question for our audience. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm going to assume um, some Christian verbiage and uh, and then talk a bit about um, wrong ways to read it and, and maybe a way that, that, you know, doesn't get a lot of press uh, about how, how it is that we're formed by the scriptures. Uh, because the, the thing that, the thing that I think it's often lost in, um, in the way that the the good news of Jesus has been transferred in and through the American church 
is that the goal of the Christian life, one of the goals of the Christian life is to actually become like Jesus, like to be transformed is the word, mm-hmm. um, to, to take on, you know, when, when you read in Galatians, the fruit of the spirit, that's just Jesus's like Myers-Briggs, right? Yeah. That's his DNA. <laughs> that's love, joy, peace, patience. That's just who he is. Yeah. And, and so the goal is to become like that, that we become more joyful, more peaceful, more loving, that we begin to look and act and talk and feel hmm. like Jesus did. Do you almost, we might also almost say it's like the manifesto of an organization. Like right. if you were signing up for something, it's like, here's where we hope this thing goes. That's like right. this is, this is the future of yes. it. Yes. So the, so with Jesus, he's called the author and sustainer or perfecter of our faith. And so that means it comes from him and, and it looks like him as, as we grow up into it. So, so I, and I think the reason this vision has been lost in a lot of circles is because uh, for many of us, uh, we've received the gospel of Paul, not the gospel of Jesus. Yeah. And not even the full gospel of Paul. And we say this a lot and we're starting to get questions about it, but here's what I mean. Uh, when I first heard the message about Jesus, I didn't hear it from Jesus. I heard it from Paul, like the Romans road or the four spiritual laws, or, you know, here's the bridge illustration. And, you know, it's, it's, we're sinful. God is holy. There's a gap. Jesus comes to take his, uh, to take our sin upon himself. We take his righteousness in its place. We kind of have this ATM exchange in the heavenlies. And um, I get credit for his obedience. He gets punished for my disobedience. And uh, now I can go to heaven. Yeah. And, um, and, and the couple of wrong things. First, that was only... Paul used justification as the technical name for that uh, theory of the atonement. Paul used that only three places. And he used lots of other things like reconciliation and redemption and adoption and he used other things so we're we're, we're taking just a bit of paul um not even mm. the full breadth of what paul was arguing but secondly that wasn't the message that jesus preached and um what what christians often do is they read paul first and then go back and read jesus and read jesus through the eyes of paul yeah when in actuality you've got to read jesus first and then read paul through jesus and realize hey paul was adapting into Greek categories, into Gentile categories that for people that wouldn't understand the Jewish nuances of messiahship. Mm-hmm. And the argument could be made, well, that's us, right? Well, I was going to say, because that's like, that's kind of our circumstances right. this day and age, right? Right. Okay. But the, the response I would have is simply this. When Paul went to those places, he didn't preach Paul. He right. preached Christ. And the conversations we're hearing are conversations that are taking place after he preached Christ and form churches. And so so to me, I think it's incredibly important to get the ordering right. Mm. That the reason many of us don't have a robust view of transformation is because we've been told the good news is about what happens when you die. Jesus preached the message about what happens when you live. So so Jesus would say repent, which is, you know, reorient or recalculate your life on the basis now that the kingdom of God is at, at hand, it's right next to you in the person of Jesus, the King. And, um, and anybody who then puts upon themselves um, the yoke, it was called, of Jesus' teaching, the, the, that you're going to follow this Jesus, not just believe, but to follow, you now become part of this kingdom of God too. The kingdom of God is the place where God's will is done. And so, so Jesus 
um, when when Jesus was preaching, he wasn't preaching Paul, he was preaching this kingdom. And and when you preach the kingdom of God and, and you preach repentance as, as the way that we enter in, that naturally leads you to a different kind of living as opposed to, that's street sweeper right there, <laughs> as opposed to a gospel that simply says, hey, believe, pray a prayer, and you'll go to heaven when you die, mm-hmm. right? Two totally different messages. So, so we always have to start with the idea that the goal is to actually become more like Christ. And so if you're um, in a church and you're very dedicated to Jesus, um, the goal isn't, uh, hey, do you like the church? Are you more involved in the church? Is your church awesome? The goal is, um, hey, are you more loving than you were a year ago? Are you more joyful than you were two years ago? Is there more peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, right? Things sorely lacking mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of Christian circles. And so that's how you know um, who followers of Jesus are versus not. It's not what they say. It's not what they sing. But is their life progressively, though not perfectly, but progressively taking on the trajectory of Christ-likeness in terms of I'm beginning to look, sound, and act like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the goal. Yeah. The issue is, in Christian circles, all right, well, how do you get there? Because there exists this gap between, and, and, and we call it all kinds of things, it's the gap between what we know is right and best and then what we do. So I know it's right and best to eat broccoli, Mm-hmm. But what I will eat is ice cream. I know it's right and best to, you know, a, a pray every day. But what I actually do instead is, you know, throw up a couple of prayers as I'm wandering around in the craziness of my day. You know, I know it's right and best to exercise every day. And yet what I do instead is I use my exercise machine as a clothing rack. <laughs> so, so there's this gap that exists between what we know or believe and what we do. And then there's even a, another gap that exists between what I want to do and what I end up doing, right? So it's the New Year's resolution gap. All right, yeah. I'm committed this year to lose, you know, 15 pounds or to get in shape or to whatever. And for some of us, we actually do that. Uh, but for many, it's the gap between, no, I want to do that, and I know it's the best thing, but what I do is actually something else. Mm-hmm. So so how do we, people um, who have been stuffed full of Bible knowledge, for in many cases, um, and who know supposedly the right answers and the right things to do, what do we do when we're confronted with the fact that we're not being transformed at all? We're not looking more and more like Jesus. Um, and, and, and so that, that gap... Um, we actually have to wrestle with, like, how do you change to become more like Christ? And, and people will have different responses to that gap. Um, um, the gap between what I should be and what I am, you know, what I know is right and what I do. Mm-hmm. People will respond to it differently. Some will say, well, I'm just going to pretend like it's not there. So you go to church, you're always cleaned up, you're never a mess, you're never honest about what's really going on, you never share your doubts, you're just kind of, you know, best foot forward, Sunday best, dressed, mm-hmm. end of story. Yeah. And that's what the church encourages. The church rarely encourages people to be deeply real about their genuine doubts and struggles. The ugly stuff, mm-hmm. not just why well, I used to struggle with something, but no, 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 last night I did this, you right. know, I mean, we just don't encourage that. Yeah. Um, so, so a lot of us, there are first responses. We just pretend it's not there or after a while, pretending gets old, we give up. It's just like, okay, well, I've got my ticket to heaven and I'll just kind of be how I am and mm-hmm. hold out till then. For some of us, we think what we need is more information. 
So if I just had another Bible study, if I just learned this other book, if there was this just other, there's this bestseller out there, I can't wait to read it, it'll change me. And certainly God can use some of those things. For others of us, we think it's uh, the newest and hottest program. And churches really collude with us because they're always selling their programs. You know, this is the, you know, this is going to change your life. This is, these are stories of transformation out of this. This is the next awesome series. This is the next credible worship album, you know, blah, 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 blah. And can God use it? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. But all of those are responses to the gap, right? We either, we either pretend it's not there, we give up, or we start shoving other things in there. Whether it's information, whether it's programs, whether it's just try harder Christianity, you know, Nike Christianity, just do it. Hey, just stop worrying. Um, or, or sometimes we'll try to jam in ministry activism if I just do more for God. Or um, ecstatic experiences. So if I just had this, if I spoke in tongues, if I had this second baptism, if I, someone laid hands on me in prayer, it'd be done. Or, you know, this incredible worship experience, you know. So we kind of, we kind of rummage around in things that aren't bad in and of themselves, but when they're used as substitutes, they become bad. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Because deeply what we believe about transformation, um, we believe that it either happens magically, and so it just let go and let God, I'm just going to be passive, you know, and God will somehow zap me. Um, Or we think there's some sort of formula, you know, it's like, well, I tithe, so God takes care of me financially. Mm -hmm. I don't have premarital sex, and so it'll be great when I'm married. Um, I pray for my kids every day, so they'll turn out great. Right. Right. That, that sort of formula, it's cause and effect. I do A, so God does B. Um, or we just think I've, I've got to do, I've got to just try harder. I mean, so many of our prayers, okay, God, yes, I've looked at porn again. Um, I, I know it's sin. I won't do it again. I promise. If, uh, if you get me out of this, I promise I'll never, you're right. I mean, it's just kind of like, I'm just going to try harder. Right. And it's all deeply contractual. Like yes. all this stuff, you know, right. is just so it's not, we, it's not that we express out of what it is. It's rather we express because we expect in return mm-hmm. and it's, it's all bargaining and it's all, it's all that. Yep. Negotiating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so instead the scriptures paint a different picture of transformation and, and paint a different picture of, how transformation works. And that is, it, it works relationally. And um, so um, human beings are made for interpersonal attachment, communion, and relationship with God by Jesus through the Spirit. Um, and, um, and so growing in Jesus' likeness is a matter of growing in relationship. Now, everyone uses this language, but no one knows what it means, right? So everyone will talk about having a relationship with God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but so there's attachment theory. This is the relational theory of transformation. In other words, Jesus doesn't say, um, you know, things like, uh, well, if you just did this, then I would do this. Or if uh, you just wait and God will take care of it. Instead, what he says is like, abide in me, remain in me, walk with me, right? Mm-hmm. Keep in, Paul will say, keep in step with the spirit. Like it's this relational thing that we were made for an attachment to God. We now have that reestablished in Christ through the spirit. And so now you are to develop relation relationally. Now, we see this work in other places. So, um, so you take the, the example of marriage, let's say. Um, when I got married, 
Uh, I got married at 29, and I was in every way, shape, and form a confirmed bachelor. Um, I did not do ever make my bed. Why would you? Why would you wash the sheets? I didn't even occur to me that that was an option. I just thought, well, they're mine. It's <laughs> it's my it's my dirt. So who cares? Um, I never did the dishes. I'd let them soak for weeks and then throw them away. Right? I just didn't. It, I would just kind of lived how I lived. Right. Um, on July 9th in the year of our Lord, 2000, um, I got married and I went into the church as a single man and I came out as a married man without having any idea of what it meant to be married. Right. I mean, I had no clue. So, so marriage then I, I was attached now in a way I hadn't been before. So marriage for me was learning to become the husband I already was. Right, yeah. I already was a husband. Now become a husband. Right, I, you're attached, so become attached mm-hmm. is the idea. Mm-hmm. You have this relationship, and now live in a, in this relationship. Yeah. Um, and and so putting you know uh, uh, putting marriage kind of in as the prime example, um, I had to learn to take off. This is Paul's language. I had to learn to take off all of those behaviors and ways of thinking and living and acting that were congruent with my status and identity as a bachelor mm-hmm. and I had to put on all those ways of living and thinking and acting that were congruent and aligned with the fact that I'm now married. Yeah. Right? But but I didn't do that in order to be married. I did it because I already was. Yes. And that's the huge difference. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to Jesus following, you're not doing this to become attached to Jesus. You're doing it because you already are. So um or you take parenting, right? You know this one, Andy. Boom. <laughs> a little you, bit. You, you know all about it. Yep. You, you, you go to the hospital as a couple. You leave as a family. We have no idea what it means to be fathers or parents. Mm-hmm. And yet the goal now is to become what's already true of us. Right. So it's in the covenant framework. It's not contractual. We talk about this all the time. Now, that means then that all of the ways of responding to the gap, right? The pretending or trying harder or magic or whatever, none of those are going to work. What has to happen is the development of intimacy, the development of relationship, the development of trust. And that and relational transformation happens all the time. When you're with certain people, you become like them. It's just the way it is, mm-hmm. right? That's why all parents are warning their junior high kids, all right, choose your friends carefully. That's why who you marry matters. Uh, who you choose to marry matters. That's why, um, you know, the, there is such power in um, like AA groups or, you know, affinity groups because you're around people that are like you. Um, I, I and mean, so so we see this all over the place. So it's not surprising that, that we would see this all over the place because God wired us this way. So the question I was wrestling with the Vanguard is, okay, so how do you, how do you study the scriptures? How do you read them in a way that... Um, fosters relationship in a way that fosters relationality. Hmm. How do you read the scriptures relationally? How do you become formed by them? Because I was always taught, yeah, yeah, you read the Bible. But but for me, I'm, I'm finding so many Christians for whom the Bible, instead of being a source of strength and encouragement, is actually a source of doubt and, and confusion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. It's not uh-huh. like people are picking up the Bible these days and going, man, this is incredible stuff. It's people are picking up the Bibles these days going, what in the world is going on? Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah. Well, I, I, in a way, I feel, yeah, I feel like there's, there's more of that. I, I wouldn't say the majority is there. I think we're hearing more conversations where people are actually starting to actually ask that question. Wait, wait, wait. What is, what's actually going on here? Right. For so long, I think we've just 
taken pieces and just used them anecdotally into our lives and slapped verses on things and just pat answered everything with with all that stuff there. Now right. I, I think now we're we are arriving at. I think a more public conversation that's saying that curiosity is starting to re-enter the space a little bit. And yes, I think that's a great thing. That is a great thing. No question about it. And so, so, you know, anytime you, and, and that's what's so interesting is, okay, so yeah, I mean, how do you become like Jesus? Well, Jesus loved the scriptures, taught the scriptures, learned the scriptures, memorized the scriptures, quoted the scriptures. And for him, the scriptures were the old Testament. So you can't just dismiss like the the Bible as an archaic thing, if you're serious about being an apprentice to Jesus, right? You've got right. to do something with it. So for me, I've read it, you know, from many different postures. I've read it because that's what I was supposed to do. I've read it because I wanted to be right. I've read it because I wanted to learn theology. I've read it because I wanted to refute some question somebody had, right? Mm-hmm. I've read it as motivational snippets. Yeah. And uh, and none of those things capture what it is and and how it should be approached. Mm-hmm. So so the question we want to wrestle with is how do you read the Bible relationally so that it fosters relationship, right? Because we don't read the Bible, at least we shouldn't, in order. Um, so so for me, here's the order of priority. I I read the Bible because I follow Jesus. I don't follow Jesus because I read the Bible. Hmm. So to me, that difference is really, really significant. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about that. Now, the Bible itself actually clues us in on what it is and what it's for. So there are two, this this is from a guy named Tim Mackey, who's a professor up in Portland. He has this really interesting thing where he looks at the first two mentions of where the Bible lets us in on how it was written. And from that, he kind of derives a... Um, a, a picture of what the Bible is and what it's for. And it's fascinating because the first mention of it is, uh, I think it's somewhere in Exodus, Exodus 17. And it's where um, the Israelites have just de- defeated the Amalekites. You know, it's one of the, well, I mean, I'm sure we all know the story, right? Oh, yes, of course, um, of course. And, and, uh, and, then, and then God says to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure Joshua hears about it. Uh, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from heaven. So in other words, um, how did the Bible come about? Well, God said to Moses, hey, write this down. This is actually something really important. Mm-hmm. So Mackey's first statement is, and this is interesting, that, that God inspires human participants to record parts of redemptive history where God is in the process of rescuing a people. Mm-hmm. So the Bible... The first thing the Bible tells us about itself is that it's a story about God using human participants to capture the redemptive history of people. Does that make sense? Yes. So so the huge parts in that is first, it's a story. The Bible, yes, it's 66 books, but it tells a unified story mm-hmm. through many, many types of literature. So John Mark will call it a library of books telling a unified story that leads to Christ. That's yes. exactly what it is. So the first thing is, it's a story we're invited to inhabit. It's not something that was meant to just be read about what's going on back then. It is to set the stage for the dance floor that you and I are on now. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're part of this redemptive history right. that has now been written. So it's a story that that I'm invited now to step into. Mm-hmm. Um 
And you see this, you, you see our, you see the human desire for story and the cosplay that it goes with Star Wars and the, <laughs> the comic cons. I mean, there's this devotion and this almost worship mm-hmm. of some of the most famous stories that we've told and that people are literally inhabiting these stories. Well, the scripture most of all, mm-hmm. that it's not a book of rules, although there are rules in it, but rules were only a, per, a part of and we're given uh, as a part of one particular part of the story, you yes. know? And so you have to keep the whole story in view as you study the parts yeah, or you start to misunderstand the parts, mm-hmm. right? So we're having debates in Leviticus and those are irrelevant. We're not Israelites. Right. Um, and so we can talk about what God was doing there, but in terms of what, what out of Leviticus is relevant for us, I mean, Andy has a tattoo and it clearly says in Levit- Leviticus not to have a tattoo. <laughs> yep. So, and, and the reason we don't feel Leviticus is binding is because, well, Jesus has come and has rendered uh, the Levitical law obsolete. We're not Israelites. Now, so the first mention is just God and a human writing down something that happened together, mm-hmm. right? I just think that's amazing. It is amazing. And like, I, I'm not going to suddenly run in the deconstruction bent on this or anything, but it, it's just, it is, it's so fascinating because I was uh, li- re- recently listening to some other podcasts and and they just talk about like kind of the limitation of language and how it was a way to kind of decipher incarnation and like how did how did they take that revelation and then try to put it into the words that made sense for its audience of its time and which is just such an interesting thing to hold because that's a positive thing for me because it helps to piece together some of these incomplete views or like oh it's that's right it seems like there's more here but we can't quite see it all but as far as their way of trying to bring it to us and like really explain the experience of god and what he was doing i mean this is this is what we have right and if, I think if you take that seriously, it pulls you more into it. It doesn't. That's it doesn't right. push you away from it. That's right. And so that's. Um, I, I think that's. That was such an interesting intellectual piece for me to take away. Like oh, I really. That's we've talked about, and you've talked about just how you know the Old Testament is what we would say is like an incomplete picture of who God really is, and Jesus is the full revelation, fullest right. picture of who He is. And so I think that's. If you take that seriously, then I think that. That's really great. So yeah, so so the the it's a library books telling a, a library of books telling a unified story that leads us to mm-hmm. Jesus. So from the first mention, you get it's a story that has God and human participants. So so there there are times when it seems like God's speaking directly through the human participants. So they'll say, "Thus saith the Lord," and then mm-hmm. but then there are other times where you can clearly see the personality of the human participant and all the assumptions about their world being used by God to communicate something else. Mm-hmm. So trying to hold both of those intention is key. The second mention comes uh, later in uh, in Exodus when God communicates to Israel the commandments of the law. And, 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 and then it says, write this on a scroll, excuse me. Um, it says, uh, when Moses went and told the people, all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. Now, again, this is the second instance of where God, um, uh, or where, uh, the Bible is telling us how it came to be. So here's Moses. We've just received a whole bunch of laws and rules. Let's write those down. But the, what was the point of the laws and the rules at that point in the story? The point was... Oh, okay. You're asking me. Covenant. Well, yes. Yes. Is Great. What that you was, that's say. exactly what I was going to say. Yes. Covenant relationship. <laughs> that, that God had redeemed Israel 
right, out of slavery, yeah. and then said, here's how you lived as redeemed people. Mm-hmm. This is not how you stay redeemed. This is what it means to now live in covenant relationship with me. Mm-hmm. So the Bible tells a unified story. It's a library of books um, composed with divine and human participation um, that leads to Jesus, but is for the purpose of covenant relationship with people. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of the Bible was not just to record history, but it was to it was to be the basis for relationship, and not just any kind of relationship, but the transformational kind of relationship. So childbearing to parent, all right, um, a husband or you know spouse to spouse, um, those sorts of transformationally covenanted um, unions. The reason they're transformational is because they're backed by covenant, not contract. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so that's that's how the Bible comes to us. And of course, the capstone of its story is the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And so it's it's uh, on on one hand, it's a story that I'm invited to inhabit. So I'm invited to live in the way the Jesus lived in the world and see the world the way Jesus saw the world. Jesus saw like rebellious angels as being real. Jesus saw the kingdom of God as something that's here and coming. Jesus saw human hearts as being in need of rescue. I mean, you know, it, part of inhabiting the story is, is taking on the assumptions and the priorities of the values of, of Jesus. But it's also a covenant now that I'm invited to, invited to step into. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's in covenant is just another word for a kind of relationship. It's the kind of relationship that breeds transformation. So part of the covenant of of Jesus is the invitation to allow his rule and lordship over us so that I'm adopting his priorities and values and agendas and setting my own aside. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, not because I want to become a child of God, it's instead because I already am one. Mm-hmm. You know, so that difference yeah. again. Yep. Now the thing that the thing that, and this is where Sam commented uh, a couple weeks back. This is where I start to get into trouble a little bit, because here's where I want to push this. I want to push this in the idea that when Jesus shows up, Jesus then becomes the clearest revelation of God, that allows us then to relook at the Old Testament and understand that parts of it now. Um, do not, we're not living under. Um, and that that covenant uh, that God had made is excellent for examples, excellent for story, excellent for getting pictures of God, but it's not the fullness that Jesus represents. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus, so Jesus says some crazy things, he, he'll show up after his resurrection and he'll say, uh, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, these two disciples, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Mm-hmm. So his point was this whole thing was was pointing towards me. Or a little later, he says, this is what I told you to a different group. He said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Okay, so... Um, now, that doesn't mean we go rummaging around and, and, and say, okay, well, here's an example of Jesus with David and Goliath, and here's an example. No, no, the Old Testament still spoke to its... Moses spoke in, in, in Moses' way in Moses' day, right? Yes. I mean, that's, that's like fundamental. But that from, from the perspective now of Jesus having come, now we're looking at the full puzzle, whereas before maybe we just had a few of the pieces. Yes. We're looking, when Jesus shows up, now we've got the box top. 
that helps us fit the whole thing together. Whereas before we didn't have the box top to the mm. puzzle. So we're just trying to arrange corners and we're not quite sure what goes where. Right. Make sense? Yeah. So that's, that's hugely important to reading the Bible relationally is that you're reading it from the perspective and the orientation that I'm doing this because I'm a follower of Jesus, not to become one. I'm doing this because I'm a child of God, not to become one. I'm doing this because this is the, the picture of my inheritance. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm doing this because I, I want to be formed and shaped into further intimacy uh, with God and so on. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. So, so I mean, he, other things. He, he says to the Pharisees, you study the, the, the scriptures, the Old Testament, diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. But these... Uh, but these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Mm-hmm. And again, just again, making that point, I'm, the point is me, a library of books, unified story, divine and human author, and uh, points to Jesus. Or in the book of Hebrews is a sustained uh, meditation on how Leviticus has been fulfilled in Jesus. Um, the author of Hebrews says, by calling the this covenant new, he, he, God, has made the first covenant obsolete. And what is obsolete is outdated and will soon appear. Paul calls it a shadow of the things to come. Now, this jives perfectly with what the New Testament says about Jesus as the definitive, final, best revelation of what God's like. And this is where we get into trouble. Because I don't want to separate the Bible from Jesus because obviously we read the Bible to know Jesus, but there is a sense that that the revelation of God in Christ trumps any other revelation of mm-hmm. God in the Bible. Yeah, okay. Now, that doesn't mean they're inconsistent. It just means that the pictures we get of God in the Old Testament aren't the picture of God we get in Jesus. Why? Because the picture we get of God in Jesus is the box top. The picture we get of God in the Old Testament is one of the puzzle pieces. Mm-hmm. Right, And so, of course, the puzzle piece fits somewhere in the box top, but the box top gives the full picture yeah. rather than just a piece. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. So, so the New Testament writers will say things like, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All right? So, so there's a big deal in the Old Testament that, that you could not make an image, a graven image. That was one of the Ten Commandments. So make an idol of God because God didn't give you an image mm-hmm. to, to, to see or to use. But the, the New Testament makes a big deal about, you know, Jesus is the image right. of the invisible God. Mm-hmm. Or uh, God was pleased to have his, the fullness of his fullness dwell in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Or uh, for in Christ, the fullness of fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Yeah. Right. I mean, these are such huge statements. Or the one in Hebrews is the one that's insane. The sun is the exact radiance of God's glory. Excuse me. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. In other words, there is no other exact representation of God's being. What Jesus shows you is the heart of God um, in ways that nothing else can show you. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus himself will say this anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Or. In First John, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you, on the one hand, um, I believe the whole Bible is, is inspired. But on the other hand, I believe that the picture we get of God in Christ is the more important picture of God than any other picture of God in the Bible for, for, for these sorts of reasons. So... Right. Now, this is, you know, 
I don't know if we've lost everybody or whatever. But <laughs> how is it that you and I are to become more like Jesus if that's the goal? Um, the the answer is um, it's attachment, it's intimacy, it's what what Jesus calls abiding, it's relationship, it's covenant relationship. And that covenant relationship is is inherently transformative. We see that with parents and kids. We see that with spouses. Um, we see that in family units. Um, and so, so the Bible, rather than being approached as a doctrine of or a, a book of doctrine, or as a you know a proof text manual to show I'm right and others are wrong, or you know a purely intellectual or devotional or motivational exercise of snippets. Um, nope, it's a story that uh, is unified. It's got divine and divine participation and human participation, and so you have to honor both sides of that. It points to Jesus, and but but points to Jesus means something very specifically. It means that our relationship with the Old Testament has changed, and it also means um, that our that that the picture we don't start with just abstract uh, an abstract picture of God. We start with Jesus as our picture of God. Mm -hmm. And that is so important because the beauty of our transformation will never outrun the beauty of our picture of our God. So if you meet somebody who's been following Jesus, quote unquote, for years and they're bitter, they're nasty, they're legalistic, well, that's what their view of God's like. Mm -hmm. If you are if you are flying planes into the Twin Towers, promised virgins forever, I mean, that's what your view of God's like, right? I mean, we cannot help but inhabit our view of God. If we're at all serious about you know pursuing whatever God we're believing in, mm-hmm. so your your the picture of of the, the beauty of God will never you'll never be able to outrun that in terms of the transformation. So when you come across people who are beautiful um, and Jesus like, well, you know the picture they have of Jesus is just like that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So so when we read it relationally. We're, 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 we're doing more than just rummaging through ancient history. We're doing more than just looking for proof texts and, and uh, scores to settle th- uh, you know, for current debates. We're actually getting to know the real, honest, exact representation of God in Christ, right? We're getting to know. So that's why when people say, hey, how do you read the Bible? I just say simple. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then repeat it like for a year. Just read it over and over and over and over, and then and if you then if you take Jesus seriously, Jesus will take you to the Old Testament because that was his Bible. Right, that was the text he loved. He quoted. He sang. He read. He wrote. Right. I mean, he will take you to the Old Testament, but not not from the big scary view of the Old Testament, but rather from man. Jesus inhabited this story. Mm-hmm. Right, as yeah. I'm trying to inhabit now the Jesus story. There's a connection that goes all the way back. Yeah, makes sense. Yes. Yep. Okay, ready for my thoughts? Yes. <laughs> okay, so I mean the the piece that I feel like I inherited as like a Christian culture was what am I a good Christian or am I a bad Christian? Right. I mean, that is what I was raised in. And so okay. for me to be a good Christian meant X, Y, and Z. Uh-huh. You follow the rule book, you you hear all these ideas of, you know, peace, love, patience, kindness, etc. It's like, okay, that's what I'll become eventually or what I am or, or whatever. But I think it's, but then, and you've said it repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly in this whole thing. And the words we hear is fullness. And the words we hear are full. And I think that's where 
um, we really have to work that out in our contemporary culture. Like we, even to this day, we meet people that will show up at Vox or in other conversations I have, and people are always comparing their Christ likeness on a measure of good or bad. And it's like, we don't see that anywhere in scripture. Mm -hmm. What we see is fullness. And what we see is pouring ourselves out is this Mm -hmm. operation of giving away sacrifice, like abiding in. And I just don't think we have a contemporary way of that perspective. Like we don't, teach the walking to become full like if you if you say like i've had you know american dream is a good life or bad life and here is how it's defined right you know big house fancy cars right. i lived my dream and all of that but then it's interesting you you meet people who have all of that and they feel like they had an empty life right you know but then you hear the people who talk about what it's like to have a full life and that narrative and story sounds so different and i think that's just a language that we have lost significance in because we've become so categorically judgmental on whether the identity is good or it's bad. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a matter of working out, am I good or am I bad? And we just go back and forth between that every single day. Well, I, I had a bad day or I had a good day, but yet like when we explore what it's like to walk in the fullness of Jesus or to explore the fullness of Jesus, like what does it mean to be filled up by it? What does it mean to really examine the self to be like, am I actually full of the wonderment and the beauty of who he is? And do I then try to live that way and walk that way? I don't hear that conversation anywhere, but Mm. yet that seems like what is so poignant about everything you just said. Mm. That that's my thought on all of that. And I I just, I, that's, I wrestle with that because every time I'm picking up Christian book here or there or listening to other things, all of it is behavior management. All mm-hmm. of it is checking boxes of like what it means to do it right or do it wrong. But rarely do I hear the one well, and maybe more nowadays. What I hear is like, I think I hear Christians identified following Christ who are empty and being honest about their emptiness. Mm. And it's just like, but that doesn't cast them out. That doesn't make them bad people. But I think that that's what is happening. And I think that the church is like exiled, you know, this group of people who feel like we don't feel good enough to walk into a church. Sure you don't because their standard of Christianity is defined by whether it's good or it's bad, right. not whether or not it is full of Christ or, or not. Right. And so right. I just, that's to me seems like this, glaring thing at me of like this mm. this conversation we've kind of lost and it's just been so whacked and shifted into so much other stuff and i'm like ah i'm hungry yeah you know to kind of explore that yeah because it's it seems so obvious in scripture it seems that way what do you think about that wow <laughs> andy bear <laughs> well it's it's remember we did the um oh what was it, it was set theory so an uh an open set a closed set yeah like Way back, one of our first podcasts yeah. was the the a bounded set is a set where you you have a defined boundary and people are either in and out. Yes, and that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you you can do that between Christians and non Christians, but even other Christians will start yes. doing it to each other. Mm-hmm. Or you have something called a centered set, which is the people in the set. The people who are in the set are people who are orientated towards the center, no matter how far away they are. Yeah. So, so if you picture a big circle with a with like a bullseye in the middle, that's a bounded set. So anybody inside the circle's in, anybody outside the circle is out. If you squibble that large circle, if you like erase it, and you just had the bullseye, mm-hmm. and you had different arrows, some facing away but were close, some were far away but they're facing inward. Mm-hmm. 
right? Who, who are the Jesus people there? Well, they're the people that are becoming more and more oriented towards the center, right. regardless of whether or not they're far away or close. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're talking about, yeah. right? Learning to read the Bible in a way uh, and that, that, it, that it, it provokes the um, habitation of a story uh, so that I'm improvising Jesus following because, you know, obviously I, I, I'm dealing with issues all the time the Bible doesn't talk about. But how do you make those decisions, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the answers is, well, you immerse yourself in the voice of Jesus so much that you begin to become the kind of person that recognizes when he's speaking outside of the Bible, mm-hmm. when he's guiding, when he's leading, when he's directing. But there's there's uh, another sense um, that that we we become not just participants in a story but we become participants in a covenant and that that covenant provides identity security significance and it takes it takes us so long it's like becoming part of a new family right if you mm-hmm. if you've ever foster adopted we have several friends going through this man it's not like these kids come out of the foster system and just fall right in your laps as perfect angels i mean it takes years of effort and hardship and love so that they begin to inhabit the new identity they have, right? Same right. for us. Yeah. So, so to me, this is absolutely, absolutely critical to understanding what the Bible, what the Bible is, and what it's for, and how it is to read it relationally. Mm-hmm. So, I hope, I hope something's helped, or at least raised some questions for you. As always, fire back at us. We love hearing from you. Um, there's some great resources we can recommend as well. But as always, my brothers and my sisters, man, what an honor. Uh, thank you to our Patreon supporters. We are so blessed by you. Thank you for just allowing us to keep all of this free. Um, and uh, if you want to join up, you can go to patreon.com. Uh, mm-hmm. Slash Vox Podcast. Yep. And uh, you can find us everywhere else. And, and if these are helpful, please share them. Um, uh, we're, we're getting to the point where um, we, we're going after some big guests and uh, some big fish in the pond. And uh, so we're, we're always grateful to, uh, to be able to see that people are excited about what, what's going on. So yeah. thank you for that. Absolutely. Anything you want to add, Andy? Go Ducks. Okay. Yep. All right. That's right. If you know, you know. Right. Yep. yep. Today is May 4th. May the 4th be with you. Yeah. As well. Big day. Yeah, big day. Big day. Going to the game Friday night. Okay. So this I didn't will, realize this you used our Twitter. Monday. I did not realize you used our Twitter handle to try to find playoff tickets. Uh, I have in the past. Right. Yeah. That, that first of all, Andy runs the Vox Podcast Twitter, <laughs> and then I, I was flipping through it and I saw Andy needs playoff tickets. Oh, okay. All right. I see. I see the true colors. Um, all right, my brothers and sisters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may he give you peace. Amen and amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast and now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.